maybe for just an opening verse to think about a bit. The first of out of First Corinthians uh, one fifteen through nineteen. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Um, the lesson tie or the, the message title this morning is life without meaning and life with meaning taken out of uh, Ecclesiastes 1. Now, before we go there, I would like to read uh, uh, for an opening passage, Matthew 6, 6 through 13. If you would want to open your Bibles to that scripture, Matthew 6, 6 through 13. We're going to be looking at life without meaning a bit as we read Ecclesiastes a little later. But of course, what we really want to focus on is what what life is all about, and that is a life with meaning, what Jesus intended for us to have. Life with meaning. Sometimes it's good to look at both sides to, to really appreciate the good side, what God has intended for us. Matthew 6, 6 through 13. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which, hath, which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when he pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But not be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye need before ye ask. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What I really want to focus on here in the Lord's Prayer are the verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, after this manner, Jesus is saying, after this manner, pray ye, thy kingdom come. First of all, hallowing the name of the Father, giving him due reverence. Then thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we'll notice here, it doesn't say a lot about pray ye that uh, lots of good things should happen to you. Pray ye that, uh, Lord, I want this, and, and uh, it will come to you. Um, it says, simply, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Then it goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptations. Basically, it says, takes, it's, uh, Christ encourages them to pray for their very basic needs. Uh, daily bread. And then we have a basic need of being forgiven. A basic need of, of Christ's provision, His grace of not being led into temptation. Okay, I'll leave that there and we'll come back to that a little bit later. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes 1. I was reading this 
some time ago in my devotions, actually probably just a week ago, and uh, read across this passage and read it again, read it again. I was thinking, you know, how how depressing to to read this passage and to to feel like you know the the author felt who is Solomon here about life. I'd like to read it. I want to look at it two ways. One is Solomon may have looked at it, and one is the Christian can look at it. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Israel. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all of his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to its place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, been, the thing that hath been it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Seems like he was somewhat depressed, at least as I read it, of how where he was at in life and, and how it seemed like he was not able to find interest in life anymore. Later on it says how that he decided to build, he, de- he had a large harem of wives, he uh, had power, um, instead of Solomon, of course, that, that silver was like rocks in the city. Um, so he was very wealthy. And he's saying this, you know, in the uh, NIV, it's meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The futility of life, it seems like what he's seeing. Neighbors continue to get aggravated at each other on a local national scale, thinking of us today and and reading this. The economy rises and it falls, and it doesn't seem to have regard for the righteous or the wicked. Technical advancements simply speed up our pace of life. Not talking necessarily for Solomon now, I'm talking for about us. The technical advancements simply speed up our pace of life. The quality of life we envision doesn't seem to materialize. You know, we buy that new thing and we think, wow, this is going to make my life different. It's going to, it gives us a little charge for a while. Life stays the same. I remember reading a story that made a real impression on me when I was probably 14 years old out of an Amish periodical. This Stories about or showed a, a, a farmer who owned a nice sized farm in a, in a kind of an idyllic spot. And then the news came that the road, a road would come through soon. And 
he, he really didn't know how to respond to this. He was neither here nor there. Then, then the, the, the road company or the, the government needed some of his land to, to develop this road. So he sold it at a, at a nice profit. And now he had some cash. And, and life was getting a little easier. He had some cash on hand. Uh, with the road came other advancements. Came, you know, electricity and the telephone. And uh, suddenly his idyllic life was kind of upset because here he had the road going by, vehicles coming through. No longer was it quiet. Uh, you know, they need electricity and telephone since that was a new thing. So now they, he needed a job to keep generating cash to pay for the phone bill, to pay for the electricity. He needed a car to get a, be able to go to his job. And uh, suddenly his life just kind of went topsy-turvy. Uh, and, you know, of course, this was published by an Amish periodical, so you could kind of understand where they're coming from. But it, it does, you know, it does, it does uh, bring a good point out. We, we can just get wrapped up tighter and tighter with what we perceive as new and not really realize it's just the old in a new form. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? The peasant plows his field year after year, and slowly, you know, this, the peasant grows older, he grows wearier. Remember in Romania, especially thinking of this, you know, the peasant's hands become gnarled from the hoe, his feet become calloused and bent out of shape from hours in the soil, the manure, the elements. And after the many years of hard labor, his strength begins to fail him. Despite the many years of hard labor and the healthful crops he's raised, the animals he's raised and sold and eaten, he faces the prospects of no longer being able to continue. We plant, and if we're fortunate, we have a decent harvest, which then we eat, and then we repeat and repeat. Mothers rise early, pack lunches, send children off to school, wash dishes, wash clothes, change babies' diapers, Fathers go off to work day after day, toiling in the elements, or if more unfortunate, in the uh, conditioned cubicles. I just had to add that in. Turn a, a living. They do this, you know, day after day. They face this. They face the constant uncertainty of business and the worth of their skills and product in, their, in the local market or in the current market. Unless, of course, they live in Greece and the government takes care of them. Then you have those problems and the government starts going down. You know, it just seems like there's a recurrent repeat and, or peat and repeat set on the wall. Peat fell off and who was left? And you say repeat. You start over again, repeat. Generations come, verse 4, and generations go, but the earth remains forever. As babies are born, people are dying. I was reading some notes on a, on a, or some posts on a, on a, or comments on a story yesterday uh, that was generated by Google News or published by Google News on a, what they call a crocodile a drug in, in Russia. And what I was impressed by is, is the sarcasm and lack of, lack of uh, hope in, in many of these comments that came back about about this uh, the drug abuse. I saw hope in the article. I saw 
Christians rising in Russia to to help people to create a rehab for these people who have been through the or been in the clutches of this awful drug. But a lot of people it seemed like they didn't even see that hope. They 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 were just focused on how that you know how bad government is, how 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 there's just they just there was just a, a note of despair coming through and sarcasm. Which kind of went along with my sermon preparation here. I could I could feel it. Um, nations rise, nations fall. The older a person gets, the shorter the cycle of life seems between the cradle and the grave. The earth continues as a bed of unending experiment of life and death and for no apparent reason. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back, it hurries back to where it rises again. There's a constant rotation of the universe. Almost a merciless rotation. It comes up, goes down. Start of the workday, end of the workday, or start of whatever. It's kind of cycles we find ourselves in on a much smaller scale, personal scale. And for some people who get caught in the clutch of the sin, the life cycles, cycles in life become even shorter. Their existence and sense of time is no longer measured by days or the 24 hours, but by hours, by minutes. Um, and here again, talking about the crocodile drug of Russia. This is Pav, Pavlova speaking here, or, or the speaking of her. And, and the situation there in, in some of the extreme parts, extreme outposts of Russia. The winters there last eight months of this of the year, and as Pavlova recalls, the young people are in a constant state of boredom. Most of them drink and few of them work, the same as in hundreds of towns and villages across Russia's frozen north. Besides her, Pavlova says there are about a dozen crocodile addicts she hung around with, including her brother. Practically all of them are dead now, she says. And these are fairly young people, uh, teen, uh, late teenagers and early 20s. For some it led to pneumonia, some got blood poisoning, some had an artery burst in their heart, some got meningitis, others simply rot. The rotting explains the drug's nickname. At the injection site, which can be anywhere from the feet to the forehead, the addict's skin becomes greenish and scaly like a crocodile's as blood vessels burst and the surrounding tissue dies. Gangrene and amputations are a common result. While porous bone tissue, especially in the lower jaw, often starts to dissipate, eaten up by the drug's acidity. For Pavlova, the breaking point came in 2008 when she holed herself up in her brother's apartment for two weeks and did almost nothing but cook the drug and inject it into the femoral artery in her groin. The high lasts about an hour and a half, so this was her cycle. In other words, you know, we think of, many people think, think of the daily cycle. For hers, it compressed down. The high lasts about an hour and a half, and it takes about an hour to cook it. So I was basically cooking and shooting 24 hours a day, she says. By the end of the binge, gangrene had begun to develop around her groin and blood poisoning was settling in. She was rushed to the emergency room, then transferred to the detox ward where a pair of Pentecostals were inviting addicts to rehab. Pavlova agreed. She went there once and then she left and went there again and now she's uh, 
says she's doing much better, but she's lost she's lost uh, her mechanical or not mechanical, but her, her capability to, to, to walk function um, like she would have at one time. I guess what I'm trying to point out is for people that are caught into clutches of sin, uh, often the, the cycles of time become much more compressed than what God has ordained. But anyways, I, I'll go on from there. What I do see here is that these Pentecostals have 500 rehab centers, approximately 500 rehab centers in Russia, which makes them the largest provider of rehab in Russia, larger than the government. But of course, people that are sarcastic, they can't see, they can't uh, appreciate that. Um, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Seems like Solomon's saying here, all of life seems circular. What has been will be again. History is constantly repeating himself. All things are wearisome more then one can say the eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear is full of hearing. You know, was Solomon referring to the Jerusalem tabloid here? He wasn't referring to Facebook, I don't think at least. Or is it that there's never an end? He, he was finding out there's never an end to learning. We learn, 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 and all of the learning never culminates in an ending of global poverty, the end of wars, or the eradication of crime. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he was referring to here. But it seems like there's something here. He, he in his all his quest of knowledge, he just he, he became tired. Um, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything at which one can say, "Look, there's something new. It was already here long, long ago. It was here before our time." Even our greatest achievements always seem overshadowed by, by achievements of others who have done far greater. One celebrates in the business world, one celebrates his first thousand, another celebrates his first 50,000, another celebrates his first 50 million, another one his first billion, you know. And it's just, no matter how large our achievement is, in, in a worldly sense, Someone else has achieved greater. One builds a new home, another builds a bigger new home. One day decorates her kitchen with the latest, and the other one outdoes her with more later and newer technology. You know, it's, it's just, if you're, if you're going for that life, there's just no end to it. For one, new is finding enough bananas to feed the family for a day. Think of the people in Africa. I remember reading the story of a man who would go all, you know, walk all day to find bananas to bring back to his family. For another, new is maybe streamlining a manufacturing process. In Solomon's days, they, they didn't have F-16s. Maybe if he would have had F-16s, he would have thought of it as something new has happened now. I don't know. But really, it, that is new in a sense, but aerodynamics is not new. Birds are flying before Solomon came along. And eventually, the new has not changed human behavior or the functions of the universe. There's nothing really new. Eventually, it comes back to man's survival, his self-preservation instinct. Included in the old is man's love of praise and admiration. Civilizations grow, they decline, 
magnificent temples are built, droids and iPads are made, but the grip of death remains, sorrow remains. Greed becomes even more prevalent. Uh, there are new ways of travel, communications, ways of building, medical advancements, and discoveries. But it's all in the works of the framework of, of the one who created it. And it's, it's limited by the effects of the curse. There is no remembrance of men of old. Even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Remember one author stating it this way, Our lives are like a finger dipped in the waters of the Atlantic. The finger makes a few small ripples as it's dipped in. Then it's all past. And adding to that, we're forgotten. The tide of humanity moves back out. It rolls back in. Man is insignificant. His actions have no long-term consequence or value. I think, you know, that's what I read into this passage, what Solomon was feeling. And... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, wouldn't we? I mean, if this was our only life, uh, we would be miserable. I'd like to look at it from the Christian's perspective, and I hope I uh, hope that we can, in looking at it this way, we can uh, um, have better insight into what life is like without the Christian's perspective and be, be, uh, find meaning, more meaning, and, and uh, be, have a refreshed appreciation for what life is like for the Christian, or is meant to be. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon had, like I said, everything his heart desired. David had installed him on the throne of Israel. He came there. He didn't have to fight for it like David did. He was transported there, so as to speak, with power, wealth, and honor. He had become king at the pinnacle of uh, Israel's, or the nation Israel's, experience. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba, the former wife of Uriah the Hittite, that David took in deceit not dishonor. Not that that necessarily plays into this so much, but that, that's his background. Solomon was known for his wisdom, first in praying for wisdom and above riches and wealth, a riches and honor, and then God promised him the riches and wealth to follow. And then in the discerning judgments he executed, one was, of course, the proposing to divide the baby to determine the true mothers, who the true mother was by, by action of loyalty. Uh, Solomon was a statesman. He was a nation builder. He's known as the temple builder. He's known for his making silver like rocks in Jerusalem. He made the throne a prestigious place and a place of, of honor for Israel. You know, why would have Solomon penned this first, first verse? Everything is utterly meaningless. And then comes to the mind the question, if Solomon came to this conclusion at his pinnacle of, of power and wealth. Uh, why wouldn't us as poor peasants, craftsmen, merchants, and regular people, why wouldn't we come to the same conclusion? 
Solomon had an advantage. Because all had been given to Solomon and made available for him to enjoy and build on, he was able to leapfrog uh, to the conclusion many worldly successful people come to. That is, in and of itself, life in the pursuit of happiness is mostly a pursuit that lead, that yields precious little in the way of satisfaction and true meaning. The majority of people go through life finding meaning in the pursuit of their goals, while they may never achieve what they'd hope and for. Just the pursuit lends their life a measure of purpose. Um, so the per person that is wanting to be very wealthy at the end of life, for example, his pursuit of that, that wealth gives his life meaning. Now, we know of people who have achieved and find that that's not the case. Elvis Presley, case in point. He got there. His life didn't have the meaning he thought it would have, I don't believe. There was something there. He went to drugs, and, of course, he died of drug abuse. Uh, and I think, and that happened. That's happened to many a, a celebrity, many a, a person who's who's reached that pinnacle and then found that that their life just doesn't have meaning. And I, I think Solomon was able to leapfrog to that point. Solomon is one of the few that achieved and was given the luxury to reflect. Solomon is one of the few that achieved and was given the luxury to reflect. So lesson one, for life to have meaning, our purpose must come from our Heavenly Father. Like it says in Jesus' advice, when you pray, or His command, when you pray, pray this way. Hallowed be your name. Give glory to God. Hallow God's name. And then say, your kingdom come, your will be done. These are the first words. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Why do we pray? Or when do we pray? Well, we pray when life throws us curveballs. That's appropriate. When things don't come our way as what the way, in the way that we think they would or anticipate. Uh, it may be a health need that suddenly, suddenly comes into focus. It may be a financial need or strain. It may be a relationship. Uh, but when life throws us these curveballs, so as to speak, we pray, don't we? We we it it, uh, it brings us it takes us to a point beyond ourselves. We pray for sense and purpose in life. We pray for that which we can't supply, which we can't achieve ourselves. We pray for our heart's needs. For life to have meaning, our deepest desire and prayer must be that the kingdom of God would come in these prayers as a result of these prayers and that God's will would be done through the direction that God's or through God's intervention in answering our prayers. It's right to pray when curveballs come at us, in whatever shape or form but it's important that we're looking for God's will, God's kingdom to come in his intervention and his will to be done. And that gives meaning. 
Luke 17, 21. When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, Jesus speaking here answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not something you look for over there, over there. Is that the kingdom? Do I see it coming there? He said, No, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here or there. Behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. It's within you. Uh, it's not somewhere else. And if the kingdom of God is within us, this is the, the wellspring of the meaningful life. This is where true life will come from. True meaning will come from for life. Because it's what is greater, what is more meaningful than having the kingdom of God within us and be asking for God's, king, God's kingdom to come and be advanced in our lives. Lesson two. For, excuse me. For purpose to develop into true meaning, we must learn to be servants of others as the Master has taught us. John 13, 14, there Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. So Solomon asks, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? What does he gain from all of that? You know, truly, if it's just for accumulation for oneself or for one's own pleasure, it's very little gain. But when it turns into a servant uh, tool, when it turns into meeting the needs of others, those around us, his family, the fatherless and the widow, the same says in James 1.27, the workings of the church, people need... Think of those Pentecostals assisting those, those drug addicts in Russia. You know, that, that's real encouraging to me to read that, to read that story. And it, it really is a challenge to me. Am I doing all I can to help poor people out there that have no meaning in life, absolutely have no, no hope for tomorrow, or are willfully killing themselves for just a little bit of a high? You know, every few hours. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hand what is good, making legitimate good use of his skills. Don't steal, but labor with your hands, with his hands, what is good. What's, what he can skillfully do is the way I would read in there that he may have something to give to whom who has need. 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When we're asking for Christ, God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done in our lives, uh, we become a minister then of, or what we have becomes a tool of God, and we become a minister of that grace. Uh, we become a steward and, and distributing that that uh, grace that God's given us to use. Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Look not every man on his own things. This, humanly speaking, is a hard thing to do. Humanly, it's I, it's me, it's my. But here it says, don't do that, but look not every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Speaking of Christ here, let this mind, let Christ's mind be in you. And what is this mind? It was a, what was Paul speaking of? It was the lowering of Christ, of allowing himself to be lowered to come, become flesh, the incarnation. And, and that's what Paul is, is, uh, is exhorting the, the Philippians to do. Be willing to lower yourselves in mind the needs of others, of those whom you can benefit. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lesson three, for meaning to endure, for true meaning in life to endure, we need to recognize God as creator, sustainer of all things. The natural being a testament to God's enduring qualities in the spiritual. The same God who created the universe has the power to bring fruition to the purpose he made you and I for. Generations come, generations go. Verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 11. But the earth remain, remains forever. The sun rises, it sets, and so forth. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. I suppose that this regularity could make someone like Solomon be bored, you know, knowing that that same water is going to come around again. Sun's going to come around again. Wind goes this way and that, but it's, you know, comes back. But I think for the Christian, the regularity of the universe is a testament to the power of God. It's a testament that the Creator is sustainer. He's able to keep this all together. When God created, he built order into his creation. God brought life into the world. He spoke. There was. Genesis 1, 1 through 3 or on. We read that God created the heaven and the earth. God said, there was. God said, let there be light. There was light. God brought life. He spoke. There was. He sustains. Psalm 75, 3 says, When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. John 1, 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Speaking of Christ. Colossians 1, 17, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't believe that's just speaking of Spiritual things, but that's physical things. That's nature. In him was life and that, uh, excuse me, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The universe, beyond the universe, down to you and I and the workings in our life. Revelations 4.11 You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. The Lord Jesus being worthy to receive honor and glory and power. And here again, going back to the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, the kingdom of God is within us. So we... we share this purpose with Christ in a way. It's, it's almost beyond me to, to understand that principle, but it, it, it's true. We share the purpose of Christ, and that gives meaning. 
Lesson four, the purpose we choose today creates eternal consequences. So what we choose to do with our lives, our decisions, they, that, those decisions create eternal consequences. And, and in a sense, that in itself gives life a nearly overwhelming uh, amount of meaning. When you think of all these decisions you make today, that I make today, it almost gives life an overwhelming amount of meaning and purpose, doesn't it? Uh, 8 through 11 of, of Ecclesiastics. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Then verse, then verse 11, there's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed. In an earthly sense, Solomon seemed to have a legitimate gripe here. There's no remembrance. Of course, today we're remembering Solomon, so that's somewhat of a contradiction. Uh, Solomon was remembered. On the other hand, there are many truly great men uh, of old that are forgotten already by our generation. They're not very long ago. Men that maybe weren't recorded as well as what... Uh, um, you know, the heroes of, uh, that we know of yesteryear, like George Washington and so forth, or in our Anabaptist history. There are lots of others that may have done as great of things but weren't recorded. And even today, there are heroes that we don't know about, uh, may just live a few miles from us, may be our next-door neighbors, we don't know about. So it's somewhat of a legitimate gripe. Uh, there's no remembrance of men of old. But... There is a divine remembrance taking place. There is a divine remembrance taking place. Remembrance that will forever determine our eternal destiny. That's taking place. There is a remembrance. Solomon may have not known about that just yet in all his wisdom, but there, there's a remembrance taking place. Revelations 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we have this, these books that are open. Now, whether they're books like this or scrolls or what sort of books they are, I'm not exactly sure. We don't know. But there's a remembrance taking place. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's pretty sobering to think about that. Um, it's more than sobering. It's frightening. If you're on the wrong side, uh, this should be frightening. We should. It should make us fearful. I was studying for this yesterday, and as is normal, I woke up this morning pretty early, and and uh, this was on my mind. This this sermon was on my mind, and uh, I was praying that God would lend meaning to the sermon because it. Uh, didn't seem to have enough meaning to it yet, and which is often the case. 
And uh, I went back to sleep again. I'm, I'm relating this. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to put too much emphasis on dream, but God gave me a meaning in a way that was different from, from maybe any time I remembered. Went back to sleep again. Uh, the alarm hadn't rung yet, so I wasn't sleeping in. Uh, and I had this terrifying dream. I, uh, we were in a, we were in a uh, situation, it was Elise and I, <clears throat> and we were drawn towards this, this big door. And a lot of other people were being drawn towards it too. It was, it was an overwhelming draw. And, and Elisa was in front of me, and uh, I was following closely on her heels. And, and the crowd just started, you know, getting bigger and bigger as, as it does toward, when you come to a, a doorway entering. Uh, it was almost like an airport type of entrance. And uh, I, I knew there was some tremendous significance here. I, I could just, you know, feel up my dream. And we get up to this gate, and suddenly the, the gate comes down. And I realize... Elise is on that side of the gate, and I'm on this side of the gate. And, you know, this just frustrated feeling came over me. And, and Elisa kept on going. There was that, that draw was there. That was much stronger than any draw I could ever produce. But she kept on going. And I remember just the hurt feeling that, you know, she didn't even turn around and wave at me. She was just going on. And uh, I wasn't hurt at her necessarily. I just was hurt. Um, you know, it was just a sense of, you know, I'm no longer in the picture. And, uh, and also, the, the uh, you know, th th there were so many vivid details there. There was a frustration of the people around me. And there was such a motley group of people around me. You know, there were some people that uh, looked very pious. And there were others that looked very other than pious. And there were even a, a whole group of motorcyclists that, came riding in at the last minute. And, and uh, you know, I realized, I mean, in my dream, this is very much the rapture taking place. You know, I was raised all millennial even, so this is interesting. Uh, anyways, you know, the, these, and, and in my mind, the, the, these things were going through. These motorcyclists, they came in almost casually, you know, stopped, and it seems like they didn't recognize the importance of it. And my mind was going through, how important this is, and you know, I messed up. And I remember some, you know, details following that. How there was just a sense of meanness, a spirit of meanness that in the crowd that hadn't been there. And that's about where it ended. And I was, you know, real thankful that dream was over with. Uh, and suddenly, I well, actually, the fourth point didn't come till after that dream. So God meant it for me, and I trust that God meant this. For you here as well. Um, we have meaning in life if we're preparing for that resurrection. If we're preparing for the day of judgment, that day when the righteous will be divided from the wicked, we have a real meaning in life. Matthew 24, 36 through 42 says this, But of that day and the hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying 
and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until a flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. You know, I don't know exactly how the resurrection will take place, exactly how the judgment will take place. If God would have wanted us to know exactly how that would take place, he would have made it, you know, step by step. Uh, but as long as we're ready and watching, we will know when that day cometh. And if we're not, there will be no further recourse. And and that gives, like I said before, that in itself gives life an overwhelming, almost overwhelming amount of meaning. Um, we have so many things, you know, the kingdom of God in us. We have uh, Christ's will being done through us, serving others. Uh, but we also have this very important part, and that is preparation that that lends life so much meaning. And, and that's just not just for us. It's for our fellow man, too. It's for those poor people who have no idea what uh, true meaning in life is about. God bless you all.